few people may love games more than I do. And hey, some people don't even like games at all. And if that's you, well, I suggest you skip this week's podcast. Come back later this month when we'll be playing a different kind of game that you may like as it involves the stock market. And that is, of course, the Market Cap Game Show. That's a game we all can play. We'll be doing that in two weeks. Okay, so if you don't like games, I give you permission, take this week off. Hey, wait, you're still listening? Excellent. In that case, thank you for suffering a fool gladly as I endeavor this week to share two short lists of recent favorites from the world of tabletop games shared intentionally as early as possible this December so you might have time to put one of these under someone else's tree to spice up your family's, perhaps your own life. It's my annual Games, Games, Games podcast, volume four, only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner. Longtime listeners know that we spend a third of our time here on investing, a third of our time on business, and a third of our time on life. And if you think about The Motley Fool's purpose statement to make the world smarter, happier, and richer, well, you can map those to those three zones that I just talked about. The third of our time spent on investing makes us richer. That spent on business and our professional lives makes us smarter. And the third of our time spent on life, well, I sure hope has been making you happier because, well, that's a big reason I do what I do. If you're getting richer and smarter, but not happier, that's going to create some problems. One antidote might very well be then finding things that spark joy in you to bring out your happy. And what I try to do here, at least a third of the time, and this week, well, it's my effort to spark joy for you and your family around the game table. Now, I first started doing this in 2017. Back then, it was the gift-giving special this time of year. It was December 2017. I had a bunch of fellow fools on to talk about how they give gifts around this holiday period and some creative thoughts. And I still think that probably makes a good listen five years later. But I kind of just, right at the end of that podcast there, stuck in a games list in that gift-giving special of 2017. And then a year later, well, that December, I interviewed Richard Garfield here. Richard, the designer of Magic the Gathering, one of the great all-time games. And a wonderful interview. And yeah, at the end of that one, I just put in a list for recommendations for holiday games. So then in 2019, for the first time, I just explicitly came out of the closet on this and I went games, games, games. That was the title of the podcast, which is why this week is called Games, Games, Games Volume 4. It's my annual holiday guide to some of my favorite recent tabletop games that would be board games and card games. All right, now before we get started with the first of my two five-game lists, first I'm going to put out a list of lighter family games, and then second, harder core strategy games. I want first, though, to share with you two of my favorite tools from the board game world. The first is Board Game Geek, which I talk about at this time every year. Now, if you love The Motley Fool, we say investing to you and you come to fool.com thinking about investing and money, 
Well, the site that I do the same thing for when it comes to board games, the magnet site for me as a board gamer is clearly BoardGameGeek.com. A lot of you who are gamers already know this, but many others are hearing this for the first time. Wait, there's a site dedicated to board games on the internet? Well, darn right there is. It's been going for 20 plus years. In fact, I talked to the founders in those early days back in the 1990s because they reached out about branding their business and their website. And so they reached out to us, I guess, understandably at The Fool. And they said, hey, you guys call yourselves fools. Has that worked for you? They were saying in the late 1990s because they told me, we're thinking of going with the site and calling it Geek, Board Game Geek. So what do you think of that? And of course, well, as fools, we said, we think, we think that's great. I'm not saying they needed our advice, but it did end up Board Game Geek, which I'm very happy to note. Now, more important is, of course, the value of that site. Every game ever made, whether it's a game you were taught as a child and can't remember the name of it, or a game that's existed for thousands of years, like the game Go, or a game that you played last week, every single one of them has a page on Board Game Geek, where people are posting up pictures of the game, they're answering rules questions in the forums, putting up tutorial videos, all kinds of content user-generated around each game. So it's such a helpful tool. Do you have a burning rules question? Great, just ask and get it answered right there on the forums. And in fact, as I have in years past, I'm actually going to be including in this Games, Games, Games episode three key bits of information from Board Game Geek to add value to your decision about what is the right game for you. So three facts key data. Let's go over them right now up front. The first is the rating. You know how the internet movie database, imdb.com, puts a rating on every movie? Amazon puts a rating on every product? Well, that's exactly what you'd expect from Board Game Geek, where every game is rated. And in my experience, if a game is at 7.0 out of 10 or higher, it's probably a pretty good game. If it's below 7, well, you better really like the genre, or maybe you know the designer personally, because there are probably many better games than those. I'll also mention, because each of these ratings and review sites has sort of unique parameters about how to think about their ratings, it's very rare for any game on Board Game Geek to be rated over, let's say, 8.5. I mean, you have thousands of people rating, you have to have everybody agreeing that it's a 10 to be anywhere near a 9. But it turns out there are many mixed tastes. And so rarely, if ever, will you see a game much higher than 8.5. So it's that sweet spot that I look for on Board Game Geek. Games ranked between 7.0 and roughly 8.5. And of course, all the games I'll be sharing with you this year do fall in that sweet zone. I mean, they're good to great games. Otherwise, why are we talking about them? The second number I'm going to share with you is the weight rating, and that bears a quick explanation. It's so helpful, especially figuring out what is a good game for you or a person that you're thinking about giving a game to as a gift. So the weight of the game is going to be rated from one to five, and it's basically how much effort does it take to teach and or to play this game? How weighty is it? So closer to five means 37-page rule books, two hours rules explanations, a whole bunch of overhead. 
probably even to get that game to the table. And you'd want to have opponents who are deeply into hardcore strategy games. That's a game with a weight near five. Whereas the opposite, well, if it's down near one, it's Candyland. By the way, one of the worst games ever made teaches kids decisions don't matter because all you're doing is flipping cards and flying with the cards says. Though I would like to point out that a fellow fool, this is a bit of a digression. A Rule Breaker Investing listener has fixed Candyland as previously told on this podcast. Instead of just drawing one card, you have your child draw two cards and decide which card to play. That's the way to restore choice and meaning to one of the worst games ever made. Anyway, Candyland, yeah, is around a weight of 1.0. So the hardest, most intense game you could probably ever think of is going to be above four and the very light games down near one. So for each of the games this week, I'll be giving the weight to give you a sense of how easy it is to teach to others, often how long it might take to play or not. A lot of that is wrapped into the weight. Now, the final fact I'll be giving you from Board Game Geek for each of these games is the appropriate number of players for the game. If you're a longtime gamer, you'll recognize sometimes you buy a game box and on the box it says players two to six, but while it might say players two to six, sometimes it's only really a good game if it's four, five, or six. Maybe it's not a very good two-player game, or sometimes it might be a great two- or three-player game, but boy, if you start adding four, five, and six players, it just takes way too long. So Gamers are smart, and on Board Game Geek, they vote what they think the best player totals are. So I'll be giving that for each of these games, too. So again, to summarize, I'll provide the rating for each game. How good is it, really? And the weight of the game, is it weighty, requiring deep rules reading, and only players who really want that experience? Or is it the opposite? And what is the optimal player count? But... I did say that there were two tools I wanted to share with you up front. The first was Board Game Geek, and now the second. And it's another free endorsement for something awesome in the gaming world. In this case, someone who's created an amazing tool, and that is the BG Stats app. You ready to get really geeky with me? I take the time when I play any game to log that I played that game. Some people do this. I don't know, with their diet, right? They're like, I ate this today. I'm going to list that. They keep a spreadsheet of what they're eating to make sure they're eating healthily or to keep to a diet. Well, gamers, especially hardcore ones like me, also log their games. So I'll say I played this game with my friend Rick. Rick and I played this game at his house. So you type in the location on this date. It took this long. Yep, you could track the time that the game took. That could be helpful for the future. And of course, what the final score was. And so I log my games. Now, if this sounds crazy to you, please don't do it. But if it sounds interesting and you're wondering, what's an amazing app that just keeps getting better to help you keep track of all the games that you've played? Well, that's BG Stats. Of course, BG standing for board game, but BG Stats, you'll find it on the App Store. You shouldn't have much trouble finding it. In fact, the author says board game stats was created because, quote, my wife and I were missing a quick and easy-to-use tool to track our board game plays. Over time, it developed to include statistics and more and more details, features, and polish, thinking we could not be the only ones looking for this solution. And quote. The app was published to the App Store, I see now, in July of 2014. Apps by Irko, 
the name of the developer. And in fact, I see that Irko is Dutch and he and his wife, Suzanne, their last name is Vissering. You can even follow them on Twitter if you like, but he does a spectacular job with this app. So the games I'm sharing with you this week are among my most played games in 2022. And I can do crazy things thanks to this app, like tell you I've had 260 plays of games so far this year. That's pretty disappointing And that I played 319 games at the same point last year. So if you're calculating either way that I'm playing roughly one game a day on average, well, that is true. Of course, sometimes nothing for a week and then eight over a weekend. But I actually know how many games I've played. And I've played with 34 different other players in the last 12 months, 69 unique games in 14 locations. The list goes on. All I'm doing is logging, by the way, but the number crunching from the app is just fantastic. All right, so you've heard about Board Game Geek and the BG Stats app. Let's get started. All right, we're starting with casual games, and I always do these alphabetically. And the first game actually starts with a number, so I'm leading off with Seven Wonders Duel. Yep, just the number Seven Wonders. A lot of you may know Seven Wonders the famous drafting card game, a lighter card game. Seven Wonders first appeared in 2010. Five years after that came this game, Seven Wonders Duel. Now, you might be thinking, wait, hey, check it. It's 2022. Why are we talking about a game that came out in 2015? Well, I hadn't previously mentioned this game on any of my last several Games, Games, Games podcasts, and it continues to be a game that rewards me playing it year in and year out. And it's a casual game, so I wanted to lead off with it this year, Seven Wonders Duel. Now, what is the Board Game Geek rating for this game? Out of 10, 8.1. Yep, this is a pretty great game. What is the weight of this game? Well, of the five games I'll be presenting in the casual list, this is the weightiest The most gamers game of these five and the weight of Seven Wonders Duel is listed as 2.2, again, out of five. Finally, this is a two-player game only. That's what it says on the box and that's what it plays best with. So like the game that spawned it, Seven Wonders Duel is a card game and it is a civilization-based card game. So you have this sense over three ages, you're acquiring cards, They're improving your military or your scientific development. And the title of the game, Seven Wonders, hailing back, of course, to the seven wonders of the ancient world, which are prominently featured in this game. So you're also constructing wonders. But overall, we're talking about a 30-minute card game. And with Seven Wonders Duel, it's just for two players. If you're familiar with Seven Wonders, it became famous as a drafting game. You pick up a hand of cards, you take your favorite one and pass them to the left, to your opponent to the left, you take the hand from your opponent to the right, you take one of those cards, it keeps going around, you draft out a bunch of cards that you play to your tableau in front of you, they key off of each other, you're trying to construct the most valuable civilization over the course of time. You can you can earn a military victory, you can earn a science victory, and again, that's the game of Seven Wonders. This game, though, is just for two players. So instead of passing hands back and forth, you deal a bunch of cards into a tableau on the table between you, and you draft from there. Over the course of the game, you're kind of collecting sets of cards. For example, the blue cards are civic improvements. The red cards 
our military, the yellow cards around trade and commerce, one of you might start specializing in one or the other. Part of what makes this game great is it's different every time, how the cards get dealt out to the tableau. And in fact, toward the end, which ones are actually included or not changes every game, as do the wonders that are available for you and your opponent to build. So this is a wonderful couples game if you have a spouse or partner who enjoys games or a sibling or your neighbor. It's just a delightful two-player game. And of my five casual games this year, this is the only one that's just a two-player game. So if that's of particular interest to you, Seven Wonders Duel comes highly recommended. Before I move on to my next, I do want to mention this game and the one that follows it these are not exactly very, very light games. These are a little bit more appropriate for people who appreciate new game mechanisms, who don't mind reading, instead of words on the card sometimes, iconography that might be keyed to a certain way to score or a certain keyword in the game. So Seven Wonders Duel of these five casual games is the least appealing to purely casual gamers. This one's a little bit more of a gamer's game. Seven Wonders Duel. By the way, I should mention all 10 games I'm featuring this week, I made a point of typing into Amazon.com to ensure that they are available and widely distributed. It would be really frustrating for me to get you excited about a game this week, and then you click in and find it's not available for another three months, or even worse, let's say that it's only a Kickstarter game. So I have a particular conscious bias this week to giving you games that you can click and buy and know they'll be there within the next week or two. All right, casual game number two, we go down to the letter G. It's the Guild of Merchant Explorers. Now, this is a hilariously generic name in my experience. Even people who've played this game five or ten times, if you ask them really quickly to say the name of the game, they have a hard time coming back up with the phrase, the Guild of Merchant Explorers. But that is the name of game number two and a spectacular 2022 release from Alderac Games. The Guild of Merchant Explorers gets a Board Game Geek rating of 7.8. The weight of this game is 2.1, right near 2.2 for Seven Wonders Duel, 2.1. This game plays one to four players. It's considered best with two or three players. So what's happening in the Guild of Merchant Explorers? Well, each of us has an identical map in front of us on the table, and it kind of looks lightly like, I don't know, a medieval map that merchant explorers might be exploring. Were they part of a guild? And so you as a merchant explorer will be dropping cubes down on the little hexes, the empty hexes of your map. And that's kind of showing that you've explored that. So your goal is to crawl across your map with as many little cubes in your color as possible. But what brings those cubes onto the map, it's kind of like bingo. One player flips up a card and calls out a particular terrain type. And all of the players see that on that card. And all the players, let's just say it's a couple of mountains or three sea spaces or two desert spaces, each of you would then take up two little cubes and put them on desert spaces. Again, you're starting with identical maps, but how you start playing across your map will be different every time. So all of us is exploring and trying to score points in different ways. One of the things I don't do on Games, Games, Games podcasts is explain the rules to games. Sometimes it can be tempting to do so, but keeping it big picture here, one of the really neat innovations in this game is, again, it's kind of like bingo except with maps, but a couple of the cards that are pulled out over the course of the game as directives to what to do next, 
create unique features where you and all your opponents will be diving into a separate little deck of cards, and you'll pull out from that a unique way for you to explore on your map. And that will recur a couple of times over the course of this multi-round game. So we're all kind of exploring the sea and the desert and the mountains, and we're building cities and a couple of other things I want to explain here. But we also have a unique strategy that starts to emerge over the course of the game. And of course, from one game to the next, it's different every time. So sort of bingo over a hexagonal grid and exploration strategy game. Casual light, again, takes an hour or less. Best with two to three players looking to create networks, building routes, and scoring victory points over and across their maps. Bonus, there are four different maps in the box. So all of us might play map one. You should play map one, the simplest one for your first game, but we could in future games play on map two or three or four. Each of them have their own fantasy name and a little bit more complication. So the game has progression for those who want a richer and more advanced experience. The Guild of Merchant Explorers. I like to say it in a distinctive way. That way I myself remember the title of this generically named game. All right, on to casual game number three. This one comes from Reiner Knizia, a previous interviewee on this podcast, one of my favorite game designers and a friend of more than a couple decades at this point. So shout out to Reiner if you're hearing me this week. Reiner's game, My City, came out in 2020. It is a legacy game. I'll explain that in a sec, but somewhat similar to the Guild of Merchant Explorers, My City has you kind of bingo calling once again with polyomino-shaped pieces that we're going to be playing to our respective boards, kind of like the maps from Guild of Merchant Explorers, trying to rack up points as well as you build your city. But I mentioned it's a legacy game, which is a relatively new innovation in the world of games and a delight in My City. Legacy games are games where what happens in one session, like you and I just played this game, we played My City together, you won, I lost. The following game session, whenever we next play My City together, will be affected by what we did in the previous game. Maybe since I lost, I'll get an extra piece or maybe get to start with plus three points. Over the course of many sessions, the game keeps growing and changing based on what's happening all the way through. And that's, in a sense, why we call these legacy games, because the game builds up a legacy, and the legacy of your past will affect the play into the future. Now, in the case of My City, the game consists of 24 episodes. That's what Reiner calls them, basically 24 play sessions. And if you're thinking, wow, that's a lot of times to play a game. Each of these games takes between 15 and 30 minutes. So you really, in a couple of hours, could probably play six to eight sessions and rapidly advance through this legacy game. I should mention that part of it being a legacy game, you will occasionally put stickers on your board. You will change the nature of the game as you're playing. And you might be wondering, well, wow, if we're putting stickers on these boards and some other legacy games have you writing a word, like you get to name the continent after yourself if you win a game, this kind of thing, you might be wondering, is the game playable by the end of the legacy? And the answer is, in the case of My City, yes, you will end up with a final version of the game that is replayable 
from that point forward. I have to admit, after we'd played 24 episodes of My City, we haven't since returned to it, but we certainly could have. Part of my problem is there was always another game to play, some new shiny bauble appearing in cardboard delivered outside my front door. So I often don't stick with games much past, especially that legacy portion. When I talk about legacy games, of course, here we're talking about My City, which has those 24 legacy sessions, but there are other legacy games. In fact, the first legacy game ever was Risk, was turned into a legacy game. So if you've played Risk before, well, whatever happened, that first game changed the nature of the second game with Risk Legacy. In fact, the innovator and designer behind the legacy concept is Rob Davio, another past interview on Rule Breaker Investing. So legacy games, Pandemic Legacy has been a big hit. For those who know the cooperative game, Pandemic, which I've talked about in the past on this series, that is a very popular set of legacy games. So I really like legacy games. One of the requirements, though, is you're going to want to keep playing with the same group of people. Now, my city is rated at 7.7 on Board Game Geek. So, yes, it is a well liked and admired game. The weight of this game is 2.0, slightly less weighty than the previous two games we talked about. On the box, it says you can play with two to four. But really, this game is probably best with four. Yes, you could just play it with a spouse or partner all the way through, but I think the more the merrier, kind of like bingo itself. But two, three, or four will enjoy my city, but I'm telling you that you're going to want to have those same two or three or four players consistently play all the way through the game. And if you end up falling in love with my city as we did and playing it all the way through, my island a sequel, I think, is coming out next year, which I'm looking forward to. So this is a tile-laying game. I mentioned polyomino. That's a phrase given to tiles that take different shapes, and you're going to be fitting them together like Tetris, but they have different colors and different functions because we're building a city here. So you've got like the commercial buildings and the residential buildings. As you construct your city, hoping to score more points with your city that you're building than the one that I'm building. But even if you win this one, maybe I'll get you back powered by, I don't know, maybe an extra component or rule or two in the next play session. My city. All right, casual game number four. Well, let's go to the letter S and the card game, Scout. Now, this game first came out in 2019, but got reprinted and made more widely available last year, and we have played this game a lot this year. Now, we're card players in my family. We enjoy a good card game. This game plays three to five players. The box, by the way, lists two to five, but most gamers would really prefer to have three, four, or five. It's considered best with four. I'm very happy to play Scout with three, four, or five players. This is a ladder-climbing game, sort of similar to Rummy. You're trying to get rid of of your hand. One of the cool aspects of Scout, one of its primary innovations, is that every card bears a number. It's not a traditional deck of cards, so you'll have like an eight in your hand. But if you flip that card upside down, it'll be a two. And so every card has two sides to it. And as you pick up your hand of cards that's been dealt to you, and again, you're trying to get rid of your hand before I get rid of mine, you make the initial decision at the start of the game that you can either flip your hand one way or do a 180 and play it from the other side. And another key innovation in the game of Scout is you do not rearrange 
the cards. So the sequence of cards from left to right across your hand, whether you want to play it this way or upside down, that sequence of cards is going to remain the same the entire hand. Again, I'm not going to explain the rules of this game, but I am going to explain to you that for people who enjoy games like Rummy, or if you're a harder core gamer and you know the game Tissue, then you're going to be very comfortable and very happy playing the game of Scout. Scout is rated at 7.7 on Board Game Geek. Its weight is just 1.3. So of the four games, in fact, I'm just noticing now, I'm presenting the games alphabetically this week, but they decline in weight from one to five. So this is less weighty than the three we've just covered. And the final game, by the way, will be less weighty than this. But basically on your turn, when it's your turn, you're going to take one or more cards out of your hand, put them on the table. Then the next player is going to attempt to top that, maybe with a more valuable card or a more valuable combination of cards. That's why this genre of card games is called ladder climbing, because kind of like we climb a ladder by going up, well, at least when we go up ladders, you'll be doing the same thing with the cards you lay down on the table. You'll keep trying to top whatever trick was just played before yours. Now, if you can't top whatever combination is sitting on the table, you will take a card from that trick played to the table and add it to your hand, and you'll choose again where to put it in your hand. That's the only time you can disrupt the order of your hand. You take a new card in, you can decide where to put it and also which way to flip it. Again, you're trying to get out of cards, so generally, if you're left with cards in your hand because your buddy went out first, those points are going to count against you and if we're playing a four-player game of Scout, that means we're going to play four hands. If you're playing a three- or five-player game of Scout, three or five hands. So one hand per player, each hand taking about 10 minutes to play. So this is one of those great card games. It can be played over and over your whole life long. A lot of us, of course, grew up with games like Rummy or Spades or more simply Go Fish or more complicated, a game I love, Bridge. A lot of us recognize these games, but there have been some great more recent card games that I think stand shoulder to shoulder with a game like Rummy or Bridge. And if you hadn't previously heard of Tishu, I can recommend that one to you as well. T-I-C-H-U, Tishu and Scout, probably two of the truly great new card games to appear in recent years. Scout. And by the way, of these five casual games I'm highlighting this week, this one's probably the hardest to find. So if you're hearing this podcast within minutes or hours of it coming out, you have a better shot at buying the next copy of Scout than if you're hearing this on Saturday or two weeks later. Good luck either way. This is a game worth acquiring, even if you can't get it in time for the holidays. A great game to play throughout 2023. All right, and the last of my five casual games is probably my favorite. If I had to name a game of the year for 2022, it is So Clover! Exclamation point. It's supposed to be punning off the phrase So Clever, but the shape of the player boards are four-leaf, green-leaf clovers, which really has very little to do with the game, but that's why it's called So Clover. This game is rated as a 7.6 on Board Game Geek. The weight of this game, it couldn't be much simpler, fellow fools. It's a 1.1. So Clover is a word game. On the box, it plays two to six, which in fact it does. Generally considered best with three or four players, but I'd be happy to play it as just two or six. 
The more players, the longer the game will take. So what's happening in So Clover? Well, you're going to be pulling a bunch of cards from a face-down pile, and you're going to arrange them randomly on the board in front of you, and each of the cards has words on them, and you're going to be dropping them down in a little two-by-two grid on the clover in front of you. So two words by two words, and if you look across the top, you'll see two different words. Let's just say one of them is boat, and the other is pig. You're going to have to think about what is the one-word clue that I could come up with that would unite boat and pig. Once I remove all of these cards from my board and only show the clues that I wrote down, I'm asking my teammates, and this is, by the way, a cooperative game, not a competitive game. This is a cooperative game. I'm asking my partners to figure out, based on my clue, that it was boat and pig I was trying to speak to. So what word would unite boat and pig? Because this is the kind of challenge you get in this game. And I have to admit, I couldn't come up with anything off the cuff. So I briefly stopped this podcast, went offline with my producer, Rick. And Rick, you and I talked this out. What's a word, a single word, by the way, that can somehow connect in the minds of our fellow gamers, our secret words, boat and pig? I don't think there is one. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about it. I mean, they both float. Do pigs float? Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I was thinking of the word muck. It's like, you know, the pig lives in muck. It's a noun, but you can also muck a deck maybe. I don't know. It's like to clean is to muck. Is that, yeah. is that a verb? You, mu- you muck a boat. You, 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 you clean a boat. All right, good. So, so let's go with muck. And of course, in the game of So Clover, you're not allowed to ask for help from your pal, Rick. You need to sit there and puzzle it out yourself. But over the course of 10 minutes or so, everyone quietly looks over four different pairs of words to create four clues on their board. Again, I'm not going to explain the whole rules of this game, but basically you'll then pull all the cards off your board. You'll only show the keywords that you gave. Then you'll ask your fellow players to piece together the cards that you had in order to figure out the right arrangement to speak to each of your clues. This is, like all of my casual games, infinitely replayable. This game takes somewhere between 15 and 45 minutes. And this is the game I have played more than any other, not because it's the best game of all time or my very favorite, but because it's so easy to throw down among any group of people, family members over the holidays, even people who don't enjoy games, So Clover is a genius word game, very similar to the game Just One, which was on my Games, Games, Games Volume 1 of this podcast in 2019, another great word game. So those are the five casual games of the year for me for 2022, a combination of ones that may or may not have come out this year, but that I played the heck out of this year and that I highly recommend to you, your friends and family. To summarize, Seven Wonders Duel, The Guild of Merchant Explorers, My City, Scout, and So Clover. Again, all should be pretty purchasable pretty easily here between now and the end of the year. I do want to mention just in passing one more game that I mentioned this time last year that I really just continue to love. So if you're looking for an extra idea and you hadn't already bought and played Cascadia, I'm not even going to explain how it works or what's going on. But Cascadia is another great casual game if you're looking for additional ideas. So thus much for casual family games. We're about to move now to hardcore strategy games. But before we do, 
I do want to mention the mailbag this month. My producer, Rick, and I will be recording this month's mailbag earlier than usual so we can both take the last week of the year off. It's going to be a fresh new podcast, of course. It will be your mailbag, but we're actually going to record it probably a week or so before the end of the year, earlier than usual. So that's my way of saying, before we move on to hardcore strategy games, that if you'd like to be part of this month's mailbag, drop us a note, like ASAP. Our email is rbi at fool.com. We'll take them all in and read them probably Friday, December 16th. Of course, the mailbag will come out on its normal schedule, which this year happens to be Wednesday, December 28th. But I'm flagging this with the very first podcast this month, of course. So if you have questions or thoughts about games or additional games, suggestions, we're happy to speak to that in the mailbag. Our email address, rbi at fool.com. And of course, at rbi podcast, you can tweet us on Twitter. All right. Well, before we move on to our hardcore strategy games. Rick, I wanted to ask you about Board Game Arena. A lot of people will use the acronym BGA. That's the internet site, which increasingly has many of these card and board games that you can now play online against opponents across the net. And Rick, you've been availing yourself some of BGA this year. Yeah, we discovered, like a lot of people did, we discovered BGA and made a lot of use of it during the lockdown years. And um, yeah, played a little bit against strangers from who knows where and also with local friends even you can you can select who you want to play with if you want to and one of the great things about playing games that way and you and i know both still enjoy far more playing with people in person whether a board or card game but have to admit two cool things about playing on bga one is that the games usually go a lot faster you're using the same rule sets in many cases they try to make the components look just the same as the physical components if you own the game yourself but man, Rick, you don't have to set up anything. You don't have to set up. You don't have to clean up. And, uh, <laughs> and a lot of the mechanics in the game that, that can take some time, like, say, drafting, as you were shuffling. talking about before, shuffling, yeah. things like that. It just Because those things are obviously not necessary to do in that context, the game can go much faster. I was playing a game of Seven Wonders, not the dual game, but the multiplayer game. And that's not a long game to play in person, but uh, on BGA, it's a very fast game to play. So we found that we could we could play a dozen games in a in an evening very easily, and uh, we get to get a better feel for who's winning overall as opposed to who just wins one wow. game. It's fun to do. Great example. So certainly the games often go faster. The game keeps score for you, et cetera. And then one other aspect is, of course, you're playing against the world, and some of the best players in the world of some of these board and card games are playing right there on BGA. The system is going to keep track of the results. You can build up with your avatar. You can build up stats. You can play games over and over. You're going to get a lot better, generally a lot faster at games that are played on BGA. So just a shout out to BGA. I think many of our gamer friends listening in this week already know about it, but I like to share it out for all those who don't. And one last benefit is that it gives you a great avenue to try out games that you think you might like. But maybe you know you're not sure. So these games that you're recommending here, you can try them out on BGA first and uh, make sure it's something you like. That's right, and the site is free, uh, although there are premium aspects of it, of course, as well. All right, well, let's move now on to list number two, and these are the harder core strategy games. And by the way, if you're still listening, you are either already a harder core gamer or you are open to becoming one. If you don't want to go deeper here, I mean, we've had a great time this week. This is enough of a podcast about games for most people. 
please find some of the great games I've already mentioned. Enjoy with family and friends this holiday season. Full stop. All right, but if you didn't stop with me, that means you're willing to go deeper. You're going to be playing games that are longer, far weightier, and boy, did some great games appear in 2022. Let's talk about my five favorites. Again, alphabetically, we're going to start with what I believe is the game of the year for 2022 for harder core strategy games, and that is the game of Ark Nova. Yep, Ark as in Noah's Ark, Nova as in the latter half of Supernova Ark Nova. This is a zoo simulation game. We're going to be building zoos competing against each other. This game is rated 8.6 on Board Game Geek, already with more than 21,000 ratings. This puts Ark Nova as presently the fourth greatest strategy game of all time. And I played a lot of them. I think I kind of agree. The weight of Ark Nova is 3.7 out of 5. So yes, this game's going to take about 45 to 60 minutes to teach. It's going to take about two and a half hours to play. The box lists one to four players. Most people on BGG would prefer it. I do too, with fewer than four. In fact, I don't think I'd want to play Ark Nova with four. That would take forever. This is one of those games, the more players, the longer the time. It's listed as best with two. I'd be happy to play with two or three. And yes, it does play solo. Well, with my harder core strategy list each year, I specifically make a point of not trying to explain the rules because these games can get very complicated very quickly. But suffice it to say in this zoo simulation game that there are about 250 cards, each one of them unique, many of them showing animals, but others showing specialists or potential business partners or special enclosures or conservation projects. All of the things that are involved in zoos these days are simulated in Ark Nova. But the key here, kind of like the great game Terraforming Mars, another of my favorite games of all time, each one of those 250 plus cards is unique. And so in a game of Ark Nova, you won't be going through that full deck, even with four players probably, which means it's very replayable. The mix of cards that comes up each time is different. What's not different are the five actions that we each as competitors take throughout the game. One of them, for example, allowing you to draw more cards to your hand. Another that allows you to build more parts of your zoo. Yep, this is another game with a map where you're dropping polyominoes down onto your map, trying to fit everything into your enclosures. Of course, you're going to be playing cards for your hand as well, the animals to your zoo. So these are some of the actions. And again, there are a number of different game mechanisms that all combine beautifully. You're going to be doing some drafting. You're doing some economic management. There's some end game bonuses everybody's playing toward. I'm quite confident, actually, since if you're a serious gamer still listening to me and over 20,000 ratings are already logged, I'm quite confident you might well have heard of Arc Nova at this point. But if not, take a look on Board Game Geek. And again, it is purchasable on Amazon. Looks widely available to me. And I highly, highly recommend this, which is again for me, the game of the year, Arc Nova. It is often, by the way, compared to games like Terraforming Mars, kind of a, a business economic simulation happening with lots of card play and card drafting and valuation and victory points galore. All right, on to harder core game number two. This one is Clank Catacombs. Now, Clank is a series of games 
created by Paul Denon. The first one appeared in 2016, and this is a deck-building game. So over the course of a game of Clank, you're going to be buying cards from the central area, and you're going to be adding those to your own personal deck that you're going to be drawing from your deck and playing the cards and taking the actions. And in the case of Clank, the classic game, you are starting your little pawn in town. You're moving your pawn down through the game board into the dungeon, moving it along through the dungeon with the movements on your cards. You're trying to steal a valuable treasure and then run out of the dungeon using your movement points to get out before the big boss dragon shows up and incinerates all of the players who didn't get out in time. So it's kind of a race game, but it's driven by deck building. And Clank has now come out in many different forms. There's a space version of it. There's a sunken treasures version. There's a mummy's curse version that came out in 2018. And then more recently, within the last couple of years, a legacy version of Clank. I already spoke to Legacy Games earlier this podcast. So there's now a legacy version of Clank. And I certainly highlighted that as one of my top five last year. So yeah, I'm a Clank fan. But in particular, Clank Catacombs has just come out in the past few weeks. And what's cool about this version of Clank is that all the others are on a fixed game board where each time you play the game, even though the cards that you buy and the deck that you build is different each time, the board is always the same. Well, for the first time, the innovation with Clank Catacombs are that you're actually spawning the game board as you play through. And each time you play a game of Clank Catacombs, the game board will therefore be different. Of course, you're still going to be doing a lot of the same things, trying to get in there, move through as quickly as you can through the catacombs, go as deep as you can to get the best treasure, and then get the heck out before it all blows up. But really, each of the Clank games I would recommend. But I am excited in particular. I have to admit, I haven't played it yet, but I know the game well enough to know that Clank Catacombs for deck-building strategy gamers, people looking for a little bit lighter fun, I should mention the weight of Clank Catacombs is 2.5. So this is a much quicker, easier-to-learn game and to play than Arc Nova. Both are so highly rated, though, Clank Catacombs at 8.4 on Board Game Geek. And while the box says it plays 2 to 4, gamers generally think this game is best with 3 or, at the max, 4 players. So that's all I want to say about Clank Catacombs, Hardcore Strategy Game number two. All right, on to Hardcore Strategy Game number three. And this is actually a plug for two expansions, both of which came out in 2022, and both of which enhance one of my favorite games of the last decade. The game I'm thinking of is Dune Imperium. Fans of the book series Dune, those who may have seen the recent movie of last year, that's the Dune that we're talking about, and this is a game that I talked about one year ago because, in fact, Dune Imperium was on this harder core strategy list one year ago today. But as often happens with popular strategy games, an expansion came out, in this case, two smaller box expansions, both of which are brilliant, and that's why I'm highlighting these as game number three this year, Dune Rise of Ix. came out earlier this year. It's an 8.8 on Board Game Geek. That's an incredibly high number, topped even more recently by Dune Immortality, which just came out in the last month or so, which is, at present, keep in mind, all of the fans and geeks have put in their big numbers for this one, a 9.2 on Board Game Geek. That's probably unsustainably high, 
but both of these are fantastic expansions that will make your plays of Dune Imperium that much better. This is a game, by the way, that is an 8.4, the base game overall, really one of the top 20 games of all time at this point. I really love this game, and I believe it's worth it. So with Rise of Ix and Immortality, either or both of those expansions will further enhance your experience of Dune. And yes, this game, both the base game and, of course, its expansions, play three or four players. I like it with either. There is a single-player version. There is a two-player version as well, but really this game screams to be played with three or four players. Now, I will mention Rise of Ix appears available on Amazon, but Immortality, which was kickstarted and is pretty brand new, you may have a harder time finding. Dire Wolf is the publisher, and if you were to go to direwolfdigital.com or shop.direwolfdigital.com, you might be able to score yourself a copy of Dune Imperium the Immortality expansion. But even if you can't get that in time for the holidays, if you hadn't already discovered the base game and or the Rise of X expansion earlier this year, well, you're in for a treat. And before I move on to game number four, I'll mention another great expansion came out this year for another game I highlighted last year. I'm not including this on my list of five, but that's because I kept it to a list of five. If I'd done a top 10, Lost Ruins of Arnak and its expansion this year, Expedition Leaders, would absolutely be on this list as well. So just as Dune Imperium made it last year, so did Lost Ruins of Arnak. Both of them came out with expansions this year, and they're great. I think I included Dune because I just like the game a little bit more. But I should mention to my fellow hardcore gamers here that these games blend deck building. We just talked about that some with Clank Catacombs. Deck building with worker placement. And it's very compelling the way these two mechanisms are fused in both Dune and Lost Ruins of Arnak, completely different games, but using some of the same mechanisms and both integrating them so very well. So really, any of the games I just mentioned, even if you only get the base game of Lost Ruins of Arnak or Dune Imperium, if you had not previously discovered those, I highly recommend them. Of course, I spoke to them more in last year's Games, Games, Games podcast. All right, on to hardcore strategy game number four, and it's Great Western Trail, second edition. Now, Great Western Trail first came out in its original edition. The year was 2016. It was a very popular and well-liked game back then, but it got redone, I would say, with somewhat better graphics and a couple of rules tweaks and came out more recently as Great Western Trail, second edition. And I cannot recommend this game highly enough. Once again, you're doing some deck building, which means part of this game is a card game. In fact, in this case, you're buying livestock, cows and bulls. You are rustling. You are driving them from the origin of the start point of the board to Kansas City, where you'll be dropping them off the most valuable cattle that you can manage over the course of a game. You'll probably be visiting Kansas City between five and seven times. It's kind of a race game as you move from one point to the next along the Great Western Trail, deck building your way, building buildings that give you unique powers. And when you drop one of your own buildings along the trail, other players can't really use it effectively, which means you're slowing them down as you build buildings. But you're going to need to make a lot of money from your cattle to build the most valuable buildings. Of course, economics runs underneath so many of these harder core strategy games in Great Western Trail is no exception. This game is an 8.5 as its second edition 
on Board Game Geek, which means it's a truly outstanding strategy game designed by talented German game designer Alexander Pfister. This is one of the top 15 strategy games of all time at this point. Its weight, yep, is up there. 3.7, that's Arc Nova level. That means for gamers who are getting ready to play Great Western Trail 2nd Edition, well, somebody's going to need to read the rule book, which is going to take that person probably about an hour to read, and then an hour to teach others, and you're going to be playing this game probably over the course of two to three hours. So yes, weighty, and to my way of thinking, absolutely worth it. So rewarding. This game plays well for one to four players, as it says on the game box, it's considered best with three. Now, I will mention, for those who may have come across Great Western Trail in the past, there's a new version. It's kind of like a sequel. It looks a lot like the game has some of its same mechanisms, but it's called Great Western Trail colon Argentina. And that new but related game is just coming out as we speak. In fact, uh, again, this is only for really avid gamers like me. If you already had Great Western Trail and didn't know about Argentina, you should know you can probably order it. I don't see it on Amazon these days, but I sometimes buy games from a Canadian website here in North America called Board Game Bliss, where I did order Argentina. So Great Western Trail Argentina is out there for anybody who loves him or her some Great Western Trail and may not have known that a sequel is now out. I realize a fair amount of my hardcore strategy game talk has been about sequels, and that can often be the case. You know, in my experience, movie sequels are usually worse than the original movie themselves. Video game sequels are almost always better than the original themselves. And games, well, tabletop games, it can kind of go either way. But of course, in my Games, Games, Games podcast each year, I'm focusing on the best, and often I'm finding brilliant expansions that explore new areas or enhance your enjoyment of existing great strategy games. So there you go. Game number four, Great Western Trail, second edition. All right, and that brings me to game number five. And you know, I have made a point of interviewing some of my favorite people from the tabletop games world. I've already mentioned a few of them, like Richard Garfield, Reiner Knizia, and Rob Davio earlier this podcast. And here I'm going to mention another, and that's Jamie Stegmeier, one of the proprietors of Stonemeyer Games, a brilliant game designer on his own, but also a talented business person and publisher. And Jamie came on this podcast some years ago because he's so good at Kickstarter and racking up lots of dollars for his new games, and he shared some of his secrets about how to succeed on Kickstarter on Rule Breaker Investing a few years back. But Viticulture has been one of his better games, both as a designer and a publisher. Many of you are hardcore strategy gamers. That's why you're still listening to me right now, probably have played Viticulture or are aware of it. It's a worker placement game simulating, of course, the world of wine and wineries and having your own vineyard and running the business of your vineyard as you compete with others for, of course, victory points, because that's how things are scored. Often in the world of business, we score with dollars in real life, but in these games, we often score with victory points, and that's true of Viticulture as well. But in particular here in 2022, a new cooperative version called Viticulture World came out as a standalone and expansion to Viticulture, and I highly recommend having played some of Viticulture World myself, this game. Viticulture World is rated 7.9 on Board Game Geek. Its weight, well, it's 3.2, so it's not going to be as long or difficult as Great Western Trail, but it certainly is a heavier strategy game. This game does play ably, 
players one to five. Yep, it's a cooperative game. You could even play it by yourself, but it is considered best with two, and it's the kind of game you might really enjoy with a spouse or partner, especially if you both enjoy wine over a glass of wine. You can strategize together how to beat this game because that's what it is. This is a cooperative version. Some of my favorite games in recent years, I mentioned one earlier this podcast, So Clover, these are cooperative games where you all win or lose together against the game. And Viticulture World takes many of the mechanisms of Viticulture, again, primarily work, worker placement and economics, and it brings it in into a cooperative, progressive environment. There are light legacy elements to Viticulture World, which we have enjoyed as well. So that's game number five. And let me now summarize my five harder core strategy games. They are in alphabetical order, Arc Nova, Clank Catacombs, the Dune Imperium expansions, Rise of Ix, I-X, and Immortality. Game number four, Great Western Trail, second edition. And finally, the one I just mentioned, game number five, Viticulture World. Now, I can't end this podcast without throwing out some more harder core strategy game recommendations. In this case, just paying lip service to games I won't explain, but part of the reason they didn't make the list of five is because they're not as easy to find as the five I just shared with you. Alphabetically, these four games have all been outstanding releases in the past year. Dead Reckoning, Endless Winter, Paleo-Americans, Planet Unknown, and Wonderland's War. One sentence about each, Dead Reckoning is a pirate-themed game Kind of like deck building, except you're card crafting. You're actually making the cards themselves. It's a brilliant mechanism. And uh, as you explore and compete against your fellow pirates in a couple of hours, Endless Winter, like both Dune Imperium and Lost Ruins of Arnak, Endless Winter is a combo deck builder with worker placement. I haven't gotten to play it yet, but I have the Kickstarter version and am excited to dive in. I do see that one is available, by the way on Amazon. Planet Unknown is one of those games kind of like Guild of Merchant Explorers and My City earlier, a polyomino game where you're building out your maps together as you explore, in this case, outer space. And Wonderland's War, which is an amazing themed game. Pretend that it all went wrong for Alice and Wonderland. It all got very dark and different factions, almost like Game of Thrones, started warring. Wonderland's War brings you card drafting together with area control in a wonderfully fun and thematic few hours. So Dead Reckoning, Endless Winter Paleo-Americans, Planet Unknown, and Wonderland's War. Some more great 2022 releases. The only reason I'm mentioning them is because our cup runneth over in terms of both the bountiful harvest of great new games that came out this year and my enthusiasm not being able not to mention them here at the end of this podcast. All right, well, let me say one final thing in closing. I love games. I think that's evident many a time in this podcast. I've talked about losing to win. Now, that's one of my big themes in life, really important. I've talked about it in the context of investing and also business and how we go through life. I love games, and yet, even though I own hundreds of them myself, people might think, well, I'm probably really good at them if I'm this into games and own that many, but I'm actually, don't tell anyone else, not a particularly good gamer. I mean, I regularly get 
beaten by people of all ages. I'll teach a new game to somebody. I played it for years and they'll beat me in the first game that we play together. So I guess it's fair to say winning and losing are not such a big thing to me when it comes to board games. I also love cooperative games, which I spoke to earlier, but the three games I love the most, which in their own ways involve a lot of losing too, but I'm trying to get better at them every day, and I hope you are too, through this podcast and through The Motley Fool, the games of investing, business, and life. I've always thought of investing as an amazing game, and I love keeping score. We've done that together with all the five-stock samplers over the course of years now, and of course, at The Motley Fool in our business We have lots of different services. We keep score on what we do. Now, business, well, I'm so pleased and delighted. I would say say blessed to have been an entrepreneur, to be an entrepreneur, somebody who's created a business. So yeah, investing business in life. I love investing in other people's businesses. That's what we do, by the way, as investors. But the game of business will always be infinitely interesting to me, which takes me to darn it, life. Life. When thought of as a game where you can keep score, the big secret, though, is it's a co-op. It's not a dog-eat-dog competitive game, unless you want to play it that way, really. But what really happens in business every day is that buyers shake hands with sellers and transact with each other. We're all helping each other. You're good at this. I buy from you. I'm good at this. You buy from me. We're all helping each other in a cooperative game of life. Now, if you've ever played the game of life, which I think is Milton Bradley or Parker Brothers, well, that's not such a good game. If you know it, the one with little cards and pink blue pawns and a big spinning wheel, that's not that's not a good game. But the game of life, all caps, the one I love talking about in this podcast is. So those are the three games that I love the most, and I hope I'm helping you get better at each of them. Well, I guess it's not too early to say it, is it? Happy holidays. Full on. And game on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.